Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Well, this isn't exactly breaking news. We know that coffee helps you stay alert. But how much coffee gets you to the right level of alert with maybe too much going too far? Okay. So a new study out of Portugal found the exact number of cups of coffee you should drink a day is five. That's the point where you'll be the most alert. Wow. And also your memory will be better and you'll learn stuff faster. So start tossing them back. <laughs> five? Yeah, I, I I don't drink coffee like at all anymore. No, I, I did for a long time, and I, then I got really into the espresso. Of course, being married into the Italians, you do. And then every time I had one, I thought my heart was going to pop out of my chest. <laughs> I used to just get the shakes, and I'd feel sick, and I just feel horrible with it. So I, I gave it up, and uh, and have never had any uh, craving to go back to it. And you don't touch it at all either, do you? No, I, I've, I, I, it was one of those decisions. I just remember my mom when I was growing up was one of those who couldn't start her day mm. without a coffee. You know, it was one of those, like, don't speak to me until I've it's had almost, my coffee. It's almost irritating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you find those people too who are like, oh, I gotta have my Tims. Oh, oh I can't, don't start without my, my Timmies. Yeah. You know, but I do, the, the thing that's weird with me is I love the flavor of, like of mocha of mm. coffee like there's like a tim horton cereal right now a mocha one which is fantastic the kids bought it i've stolen most of it it's really good <laughs> but I, and like coffee ice cream any coffee flavor right. i tend to like coffee crisp right. love it but I, I find drinking a coffee itself really bitter mm. and then the crash that i get from the caffeine later is just awful for me. I think one of the things that turned me off of coffee is very similar to you and your your story of your mom. And again, it goes back to the hockey arenas and early morning weekend practices. And certainly anytime we went on any tournaments with other families, there would always be that mom or dad who would declare that nobody could speak to them or look at them until they got their Timmies. Or we'd be in the dressing room and I'd hear, if I heard, I'm going on a Timmies run, who wants a Timmies? I'd want to choke them out. And the fact that they would drive past six different coffee or donut shops just to get to the 12,000 cars in the lineup right. at Timmies. We're such sheep when it comes to it. And I like, I'm fine with Timmy's product. I'm fine. I like their food. I like their sandwiches. Like it all. Love a donut? Who doesn't? I just hate the people who are so passionate about it. <laughs> and well, and you know, I'll run into people who do rock your block and that sort of thing when yeah. we were allowed to do those types of things. Remember, the, remember those days? Yeah, I remember those days. Um, but they would be shocked. Like, how do you not drink coffee yeah. when you wake up at that hour of the morning? And uh, I just remember in university thinking, as exam time rolled around, everyone's cramming mm. and, and, and throwing coffees down to stay awake. I don't want to get into that mm. habit. And, and I never have. Yeah. Yeah. Some some people are just, they get, they get totally hooked on it. And, and I don't understand how, you know, they say five a day. Mm. That means you're drinking coffee basically all day long. Oh, uh, yeah. I've known a lot of people. This certainly comes with the cigarette smokers, too. I, there are people that they got a dart in one hand and a yeah. coffee in the other, and it's just going all day. I'd be jumping out of my skin. Your pal is Craig and Lucky, and our doctor, Pally. It's Dr. Tony Stone, Chief of Staff at Lake Ridge Health. He joins us once again. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. How are you doing? This is, hang on. This is, this is Craig. This is Craig, and Lucky's <laughs> standing by here as well. How are you, sir? 
I'm fine. I'm fine, Craig. Uh, nice to talk to you guys again. Uh, great to talk to you as well, sir. And uh, and Dr. Stone, if we could start uh, with an update, because hopefully we're at the crest of the third wave, but we can certainly see by the numbers that we're in it right now. Active cases, 2,553 in Durham. But more importantly, a couple of record numbers coming from people in hospital with over 80 and 34 in the ICU in Durham. Uh, are we at that dire state now? Um, we are uh, really, um, this is an enormous pressure on the health system in Ontario and here in Durham throughout the lake, our Lake Ridge system. Uh, and what I would say is, um, you know, uh, two things. First of all, the test positivity rate in the community is an important signal of what's coming into the hospital. Uh, as, you, as you can imagine, many people, they don't get tested early on with symptoms. Uh, but it often takes 7 to 14 days for people to become uh, sick enough, those who are going to get severe illness, to leave the hospital. So, you know, what, if, if, the, if the signal uh, in the next few days is that, is that we're cresting, that's a relief. Uh, the hospital will continue to see a big rise in numbers in the next, in the next few weeks. Uh, we, we know it's coming, and this is what we're trying to prepare for. Now, in terms of where are we today, so... Um, uh, we are. We had we had um, over 80 COVID positives a couple weeks ago. But we're part of an incident management system in uh, across southern Ontario, and we're connected to the one that goes from here through Ottawa. So where in wave one and two, we were an important part of relieving the pressures uh, in Toronto, and we've taken I think roughly 30 patients uh, into Lake Ridge to help our um, our sister regional hospitals. Uh, now we are a hospital in need, and so we've already transferred out um, around 40 COVID patients to different hospitals uh, further east, and that includes hospitals, um, uh, quite a few in Kingston, uh, Peterborough, and then a number of other hospitals as well. And the, the bottom line is these are, these are uh, great institutions. They're able to deliver excellent care, but we need help. Uh, I'll just add a bit more to uh, for the listeners. First of all, just since April 1, we've had 50, over 51. I don't know, this was, this was as of yesterday morning. We've had 51 ICU admits into our Lake Ridge system of people with COVID. We've had, we've had a far larger number of medical admits. This morning, with all the transfers out, I think we still have 72 COVID patients in our hospital. And uh, we expect that uh, these numbers are going to climb quite a bit. We, just, we, had, we got data uh, yesterday that showed how many positive tests were there in Durham region between April 13th and 19th, at least uh, tests that were done at our COVID assessment centers. We don't have all the results because we don't have access to everything, but this tells the story. And um, in our COVID assessment centers, 25% of all the testing done was positive for COVID, one in four people. That's um, 1,772 uh, uh, residents of Durham. And now what we are trying to sort out is, well, what, does, what will this translate into in the next few weeks in terms of ICU and inpatient admits? So that's a reality. Uh, what we've been doing in the meantime is we are um, uh, curtailing all kinds of activity as we did in wave one, coming back on uh, non-emergent, non-urgent services, including surgeries, uh, diagnostic imaging, blood tests, rehab, other outpatient things. Uh, we've um, shifted the obstetrical uh, patients from Port Perry to Oshawa for a short period of time so we can actually put uh, more patients in Port Perry, acute medical patients. 
Um, we all, have also shifted some of our mental health patients from our Ajax Pickering um, location to Ontario Shores. And we're going to continue, we're doing a ton of other work in, uh, internally creating units to care for patients. We, the, the, the biggest challenge, frankly, is um, redeploying staff. As you guys know, our staff has been uh, working incredibly hard and tirelessly for 13 months now. And uh, what has to happen with this, with this surge in the third wave is we, we have to um, readjust and redeploy staff so that we, we have enough staff to care for uh, critically ill patients and to care for COVID medical patients. It's an enormous effort. And uh, every day now, our, our teams are spending hours trying to work through these details. Doctor, it's very eye-opening when you share those numbers with us because for those of us who haven't uh, had the need to go to the hospital, thankfully haven't had family members who have need to go, we, we don't see it. We drive by it, but we don't see it. We hear about it, but when you lay it out like that, it mm-hmm. is truly shocking. And it's not just, we're at a stage now with the variants, I would assume, that our biggest concern for the longest time was seniors. And so we just all thought, stay away from the seniors, get them vaccinated, and we'll be fine. But now it's all age ranges you're seeing in the hospital, Yes. It's true, and um, and there's a, and if, if in our own data, we've watched that progress uh, progressively in terms of medical inpatients. The average age is getting younger and younger, particularly in the last um, three to four months. So more than half of our COVID patients in hospital are under the age of sixty. Many of them have no other medical conditions, uh, and then we have patients in their thirties and forties uh, with COVID who need to be hospitalized. So the variants really, um, not only are they more easily transmitted, but they, they cause more severe illness. And it's just important for um, everyone to understand, you know, this reality. Over 80% of um, the cases in Durham are the variants, and, and most of it is the B117, that's the UK variant. Uh, we do know that uh, the vaccines do um, work against that variant very well. You know, notwithstanding all of the conversations that everyone's having about vaccines, what I can tell you is all of the vaccines that are approved here, they all dramatically reduce um, rate of hospitalization if you should get COVID. So it more likely turns, you know, if you, I think 70% or 80% will get no symptoms if you get COVID. The remainder will get more like the COVID cold. Uh, and uh, really only a very small number will require hospitalization. I think it's important for folks to know that. Yeah, as we as we talk about vaccinations, you say the number of or the age range of people getting into hospital is going lower. So is the age range of people eligible for vaccines now. And uh, as uh, as we talk about AstraZeneca, and there's been a lot of hesitancy towards that. What advice do you give patients uh, about that AstraZeneca vaccine? Yeah, um, I, I completely understand the anxiety. You know what you, what we see in the media um, would create fear and, and concern in anybody. Um, and I think it is about, about getting the best information you can. So please contact your health provider. I'll just give you a, a sort of at a high level. There's a, there's a special type of clot that occurs in a small number uh, of folks who are vaccinated with the AZ. Um, and it's estimated to be about four or five out of a million vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it affects younger people more. It affects um, younger women more. And so, so that type, that's a special type of blood clot, four to five per million. Spontaneously, uh, in the community every year, roughly one in a thousand people will get, a, will get a clot in their leg or in their lung. If you get COVID and you're sick enough for the ICU, 
your risk of getting a blood clot is one in five. Mm. So um, it really is about trying to uh, contextualize risk. And with COVID this rampant, you know, um, you have to decide, and people need to really get good information from their providers. There's a five in a million risk you could get um, a clot from that vaccine. But then if you get sick and you're in hospital, your risk of clotting is so much higher. And so many people have, you know, trying to decide, well, do I wait for Pfizer? Do we wait for Johnson & Johnson? And, and I think the message is no. Get out there and get your shot because right now there's just so many people at risk and those numbers continue to climb. The hospital just must feel like you're totally under siege right now. I, I really encourage people to do that. And, you know, uh, if, if you are not sure about your decision, please contact your health provider and talk it through. They'll give you all, they'll give you all the information so you can make... I'm going to say a really thoughtful decision because if you're going to wait and you're not going to get the vaccine, what's critical is that is that we are really good at minimizing our contacts with with each other. We stick to our own household. That's really how we're going to we're going to you know flatten that curve and then bring it down. Is doing the things we really don't want to do, uh, and that is about how we mix with each other in in the indoor environment. Right. Right. And, and, and I guess one of the things that people have to remember, too, is ICU is a very special place where the people who work in there are highly trained. And usually, I believe it's one nurse to one patient. And so that number must be right off the scales now. Yeah, what we had to do is, is with the volumes going up, we, we shifted to something called te- a teams-based uh, care environment. So um, a single um, skilled critical care nurse is having other adjunct nurses who are also very skilled and we also have rts of course we have the intensive intensive care physician um but what we're doing is we're bringing other other um staff into the unit who weren't specifically necessarily trained to do icu but they but they're all strong you know uh clinicians and we're training them to be supportive so so you know it makes perfect sense that with this huge surge of activity what we have to do is to adjust our whole staffing strategy so we can deliver care to people who need it. The thing that we, you know, that we need to do uh, in Ontario is to make sure we find beds for every single person who needs an ICU bed or a medical bed. Doctor, we've had a couple of questions from uh, from listeners come in, and they've wanted to know about uh, possible reactions to the flu shot. Uh, if you had a reaction to the flu shot, would you have one to a COVID vaccine? And then also a question about whether or not uh, people, uh, will there be a priority for in Durham for uh, pregnant women to get the vaccine as well? Right. So with respect to the, uh, if you've had a reaction to the flu shot, does that translate into reaction to the COVID vaccine? The answer is no. It's, it's a clear no. Uh, with respect to um, uh, uh, women uh, who are pregnant, we know that women who are pregnant uh, have a higher risk of severe illness. It's up to five times higher. Now, you know that uh, the, the, all the preliminary research did not include women uh, who are pregnant, uh, but two things have happened. Number one, there's there's emerging data that, that shows that the vaccine is safe in pregnancy. Um, and so uh, all the guidelines now say that um, preg- uh, women who are pregnant should be offered the vaccine. I really think that what, what we're expecting to see from our national um, organization and immunization is some clearer new statements about that in the coming days or weeks. Um, and I would really, really encourage women who are pregnant with doctor or physician. Uh, we, they are um, a higher risk group among other high risk groups.
And, and doctor, we should, I guess, also make aware to people that when you do get your shot, that doesn't mean it's masks off and running around like life is normal again. We got to keep and probably will be and have to understand we're going to be living like this for a good chunk of this year still, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's true and, and it's exhausting. So first of all, just re- a reminder that when you get your vaccine, it takes a good two to three weeks for your immune system to respond and build the antibodies. So uh, what, we, what we do see is we still see some cases uh, of folks getting COVID within the two weeks after they've had their vaccine. So please re- be, uh, remember that. Secondly, um, uh, you know, you will see the, the data, the real world data showing that there's still a percentage of people, maybe 20% or so, uh, maybe 30, who will get mild symptoms. And so the research, the research is really just um, underway now to understand how infectious are those folks. In general, some of the early data says you're less infectious, but doesn't mean you're not infectious. And uh, that means you could get this, you could you could get the virus even if you have another version and give it to other people. Uh, we absolutely need to continue with all those measures that, uh, like the distancing, the masking, our hand hygiene. They're just it's part of our lives for months to come. And uh, if we if if we like once the vaccines really roll out here in Ontario and in Canada, if you take a look at other areas of the world uh, that are that are a little bit ahead of us. We're starting to watch that those places are opening up and they're doing it safely, which is what we're all hoping for. Okay, everybody, get the vaccine. Get the flipping vaccine. (laughs) We can't say it enough. Okay, doctor, uh, once again, as we always say, and this time more than ever, uh, our hearts go out to the uh, people, the frontline workers. You guys are, you signed up to be doctors and nurses, but you didn't sign up for this. So uh, we we appreciate and uh, respect and uh, love you guys for everything you're doing. Hey, uh, Craig, thanks. Lucky, thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Cheers. There he is. Ooh, I almost got emotional there. <laughs> What's this feeling I have? <laughs> my heart just grew. I didn't even know I had one. Oh, my goodness. Better get checked out. So when uh, the funeral was on for Prince Philip and you saw those very kind of nice touching moments where William and Harry were walking together or maybe it looked like they were conversing, I thought to myself, this is all just for the cameras. And it turns out to be uh, true. Prince Harry met with his father and his brother before and after the funeral of Prince Philip. Yeah, they had a big like State of the Union, I think. Well, the one thing they both insisted on, both Charles and William, is that they would not be in a room alone with Harry. There would be no one-on-one conversation because they don't trust him. They don't trust him that he won't go and twist their words. Ah. So, yeah, apparently it's a problem. Charles was really upset with that Oprah interview. Yeah, rightfully so. Rightfully so, yeah. Yep. Take the dirty laundry and put it on national television, international television. You just, you you know, have a chat with any mafia member. You don't take the family business outside. (laughs) We settle this indoors. And, and the fact that he just came across like a crying, whining baby. Outside of the stuff about his wife, I get that. You're defending her. I totally, uh, you know, sure, I get that. But that's the, well, I've been cut off. And Well, yeah, you're a grown man. You decide you're going to bail on the family, then the checks stop being cut. That's well, how it works. And one of the things, too, if you watched it, is that they were all in suits. And that, I guess, came from the Queen because Harry wouldn't be allowed to wear his military uniform right. anymore. He'd yeah. given that up. And so he would have been, like, the only one not in some sort of uh, you know, right. official dress. Well, so. I guess that's part of the deal. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it. Too. Yeah. And those two want the whole damn cake. <laughs> and a second cake. <laughs> 
Did you uh, do your homework uh, and uh, watch Longshot, that documentary? I, I did. Isn't it great? I did. It was very good. Uh, and, I am and shocked. I, love, I am shocked. <laughs> I shocked. As I was watching it, I'm like, I, I can tell Craig. I watched something that he recommended. And, and right away. And right away. It was 40 minutes, which helps. It's perfect. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a crime doc. You love him. Yes. Yeah. About a murder. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and very interesting. And, uh, you know, interesting to watch this, this guy. Uh, all, the, all that they had to go through, his lawyer had to go through. To, to get this All guy off the timeline. But not only that, the tape wasn't enough. Yeah. He had to do other stuff as well to get him. I don't want to spoil it all, but it was, it's really good. I it, like the, uh, that one moment when they have the close up of the uh, PA, the production assistant, and yeah. he's finally watching it and he's almost tearing up. And he goes, well, you know, we were told I wasn't supposed to let people through, but we did. Yeah. I guess that kind of shows what kind of PA I was. One guy he did. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really, really well done. And it took me, I did a, a couple of takes because when they were talking to Larry David, and that's what I liked. Was, there was some lightheartedness to it. I loved Larry David talking about how he uses the story on dates. Yeah. How he saved a man's <laughs> life. He's so great. He's so funny. But when they, they, at first you don't realize it. Like I had to rewind a few times and they showed Larry David walking up the steps. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, he's right there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like at, at the exact moment. Yeah. It really is something. Crazy story. And and the fact that in a stadium of like 45,000 people, the fact they picked that section to film in. Uh, yeah. Docu- it's a documentary called Long Shot yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, really, really, really cool. I'm watching the, uh, this is a robbery now, but that Boston. Uh, uh, yes, I've watched that as well. well I mean, I'm uh, episode three right now. Yeah, it's, starting to look at the Italian mob. Yes. Yeah, oh, you can't get enough of the, the, the true crime stuff. <laughs> it's, it's so flipping good. I could just sit there for days watching it. Uh, yeah, well, what else then, are you going to do? We got a blast of true crime yesterday, too, with a. Yeah, the, the, terrific. The, 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 the guilty verdict. Yeah, um, doesn't solve all the problems. There's uh, too much no. of it. It's too deep, and uh, but at no, least it, it's something. And ex- at the exact same time, another police involved shooting right? that, that happens. It, it it is. It it really is uh, amazing. Um, you know, it it, it doesn't solve. Uh, it doesn't bring him back, uh, George Floyd. But of course, um, you know, there is some accountability. Yeah, uh, and you know, it 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 took. Uh, you know. Uh, it took a video to get this done. Mm-hmm. You think of all the times that this has probably happened throughout history. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, without any kind of vindication. Uh, but this time it, it was it was pretty clear cut and on tape. And so the numbers are staggering for the amount of police that have shot and killed uh, black people mm-hmm. in the U.S. The numbers are just over the charts uh, bad. And part of the problem, I think, for a lot of police, certainly U.S., maybe more than here, is they have been just taught that the minute they feel any concern for their own life, just unload the gun, just fire away. And it seems to be what they do. There was a, the, the story of, uh, it was another, I think, Netflix uh, um, documentary I watched about the uh, the young man who in the doorway of his apartment in New York City was gunned down, like shot 40 times by the by the cops, so they unloaded forty bullets. That the uh, is it the one Springsteen wrote a song on forty one shots. Maybe, um, yeah, probably. You know what? A couple of things that I've seen in this, and I haven't been able to verify all of it. But uh, one is the amount of training that happens. You know, in in, in different countries. Mm. You know, it's there two and three year programs in Canada mm. uh, for police services. Um, 
some some U.S. states, it's like three months. There was a woman who was on with Bill Maher this past Friday night. She's a journalist, and she she became a police officer, and she spoke openly about the training. Two weeks with yeah. guns. Two weeks. Yeah, and so it it, it happens very quickly. Um, you know, the flip side of it as well is that you know, the U.S. is a gu- a gun prevalent country. Yep. Where when you go into that that field, you're dealing with a mm-hmm. lot more citizenship that have guns and handguns yeah. and assault weapons that are readily, readily available. And so, you know, it, it, there is that kind of sense that, boy, if you're going to go into that, it, you're going into a very dangerous profession. Whereas you'll find, you know, some cops I know in this country that have never pulled their weapon. No, no. I, I heard somebody say, and, and this was a while back when the defund the police things started, which is maybe the worst slogan for anything ever. But... Right. um the police should not be involved in pulling over people anymore, especially in America. Obviously, <clears throat> when you have an officer coming up to the side of your car with a gun because you ran a stop sign, you are not a hardened criminal. Uh, and in America, certainly the panic is on. There are, I, I was watching Trevor Noah. They were interviewing black parents who, with their children at the age of like seven and eight, Start reciting to them what to say to the cops when you've got a problem, mm. and they've got a whole speech. Like they're they're talking to eight, year, they're talking to children about how to deal with cops before they're talking to them about sex. Right. And, you know, it's 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 re- it's ridiculous. And the fact that most black parents and many many have said, I've heard many moms, black moms say every single day, I think my husband, my father, my son, my brother, my nephew aren't coming home. Yeah. I mean, that, it's it's. It's crazy. Well, and and you look at you know most black sitcoms, uh, you know, in television programs have had a show dedicated yeah. to that exact same thing. Whether yeah. it's a Fresh Prince of Bel Air, uh, there's one uh, Family Matters was another show where he was a cop. Yeah. And, well, um, current ones, Blackish, has, yeah. it does a lot. A lot of their episodes are, are focused on that. You can tell the last time you watched a black yes. situation <laughs> comedy. <laughs> Family it's Matters still on. <laughs> No, no. Have you not heard about Bill? Well, here's something else you can worry about. Zoom zombies is a thing. That's a term for people who get in their cars right after a video conference for work, which takes a lot out of them mentally. So they're not totally concentrated on the road. Zoom zombies. Wow. More than half of people say they actually have trouble focusing right after a Zoom call. We cannot stop complaining about everything. <laughs> oh, that sitting in front of my computer and talking to somebody is too stressful. We are pillows. We are clouds. We are so soft. Why would you be zoned out? Who knows? Like, is it? I, I guess you know, my, most of the Zoom calls I've had have been about like 15, 20 minutes. Mm. I guess if you're on them for one for like three, four hours, then it would be a little weird but isn't it just the same as sitting through a meeting in a boardroom yeah i mean i i know they're all they're draining maybe because they're boring right. a lot of the time maybe that's the thing but man i just the, the maybe because you're always everything maybe because you're always on on a zoom call you know what i mean like right. uh, in, a, in a boardroom you the person's looking down at their notes. Right. They're they're not seeing your face directly. Sure. All the time. Yeah. Or you're sitting beside someone. You can, you know, roll your eyes a little more, maybe yawn. Right. <laughs> Whereas on a Zoom call, your, your face is right there in front of them. Perhaps. 
Um, only a quarter of us say we're worried about catching COVID, which is an all-time low. The peak was in July when about three-quarters of us, of us were worried. Right. Yeah, and I think that's part of the, the COVID fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's less worrisome, I think more scary if you had it, mm. but, uh, and if you knew someone had it. Um, you know, but for the most part, I think we've learned more about protecting ourselves from it. Uh, of course, now with the variants around, that, that changes things a little bit for some. Yeah, we should be probably just as concerned or more because the variants are attacking younger people and it seems to be uh, getting uh, worse when it comes to the symptoms. So a 50 year old guy from Norway tried to get around having to quarantine by skiing across the border to Sweden, <laughs> but he got stuck in bad weather and needed to be rescued. And now he's facing charges. Wow. There was another story uh, about people getting stranded. I guess the pandemic has led to a lot of people getting into new outdoor activities like hiking. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that means there's been a ton of amateurs getting lost or stranded. And rescue crews in rural areas are struggling to keep up. Uh, That's not cool. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people have gotten so used to working from home that they say they started looking for a new job if they have to start going into the office again. Hmm. Um, could working from home actually make you drive more? Researchers who have been studying people's driving patterns say it's possible because now instead of running errands as part of your commute, you'll make separate trips for each of them. It's just to get out of the house more. Right. Leave the family behind. Yeah, take a break here and there. Oh, I forgot to dry clean. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> I got to go get the, uh, the hammer that right. I was going to buy. Yeah, go pick up lunch. I, yeah, right. The breaks might be something that that a little more interesting uh, when and if we do return to the office environment, because you know I, I know several people who you know didn't normally take a lot of breaks mm. while they're at work, or you know there are a lot of jobs where you don't get that assigned fifteen minute. Mm-hmm. Smoke break, coffee break, and then the forty-five minute lunch. It's just they all kind of roll out through the day, and uh, and you might take a little break here or there. Now mm-hmm. working from home, easy like, to go do a load of laundry. Uh, well, take a break here you know, to go take a walk. Uh huh. Have a nap. <laughs> yeah, can't do take that. Take advantage of that break time. Sure. I'm just going to watch one of my shows here right. for ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, they still get the work done, but the focus isn't quite the same. Yeah. Oh, it'll be tough for some people. Yeah, they won't be able to just put their head down at their desk and have a nap, like perhaps they were able to do for the last year or so, uh, if they have to go back to the office. Two women from Ireland who flew to Dubai to get breast enhancements refused to quarantine when they flew back home on Friday. They both wound up getting arrested for breaking the COVID rules. These two have to be just a a piece of work. (laughs) Like, how <laughs> self-involved are you that you got to fly off to Dubai to get breast enlargements? And then, you, of course, you won't quarantine because nobody's going to tell me what to do. So they got arrested. Good. Um, lots of people have picked up new habits uh, during the pandemic, but those aren't cheap. A new study found the majority of people who started a new hobby wound up taking on credit card debt to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Well, look like at the line to get golf clubs. Yeah. If you can even get them now, yeah. Or I'm going to build my kids a treehouse. All of a sudden, the treehouse costs more than your home. <laughs> well, hey, look, look, look at this sheet of plywood. Yeah. Look at the craziness that's been going online about that now. And uh, finally, some people are putting their pets into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Why? Oh, my God. 
Uh, oh, because they need to get the dogs and cats or whoever, whatever pet you have, your lizard, you got to help them cope once the work from home era ends. Right. So they're sending him to therapy. It's a dog. Give it a bone. Make sure his water bowl is full, and he'll be fine. Rock mornings with, with Craig, Craig Venn and Lucky. Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.